a bunch of dudes passed out in front of NFL football upstairs. <laughs> cool. Uh, I think we got everything running. Let's uh, let's do a podcast. Let's do it. Hey, uh, welcome back to another episode of Zen Engineering. I think we're we're up to episode six now. Six? I think this is six. Thank you for the welcome back. Uh, I'm Adam. I'm Brian. What? So six? Six is <laughs> like it feels like we're over a, a, a sort of a hump. But I was yeah. trying to think of like a nerdy numeric way to refer to it, but I don't really. It's half of ten. You can't stack it symmetrically <laughs> in the fridge. You can't stack ten. <laughs> yeah interesting um uh, the fact that my brain even went there reveals something about me personally (laughs) it's it's i'm frustrated when things aren't stacked symmetrically in fridges you know i learned a long time ago that lining up your labels helps a lot as well with that disorder and so if you go in and spin everything so labels are facing forward you'll feel even better but do you not know what it is from its physical appearance you do, but when you look in there, your eyes just say, ah, that's uh. nice. <laughs> Someone lined up all the labels. That's, uh, this is, this is, so I don't know how much I you want to talk about. I do that kind of Personal thing life kind of stuff. <laughs> but I saw, I saw your girlfriend posting things about, oh, I can't remember her name. So that makes this a useless thing for the podcast. But there's, there's some, the, there's some woman the who has this whole reading. like theory of organization that's yeah. all about like, hold up a thing and if it doesn't bring you joy throw it away <laughs> i really dig it i've been trying it with some stuff around the house and you know i mean the 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 way it's presented is a little a little uh goofy but it's true i can pick anything out of my closet and i'd be like yeah this is this sucks this should go away right. and other things and are th- like man but i, I think that's just a mode of reducing clutter and that's where the sure. satisfaction comes from i think any motivation to like I get the same feeling from just like, well, I don't really need that, but I don't need to look at it and go, does this bring me exultant joy? Mm, <laughs> like, otherwise, should, it's though. gone. <laughs> maybe you should. Maybe I next should. week when you're when you're scoping the old milk in the fridge that's a little off center and not stacked properly, you give it that sniff test and it's no good. You might want to hold it close before you throw it out, because it that that milk might bring me joy. <laughs> um, Mix it with some chocolate; it definitely will. That said, I have a lot of random junk around my house that exists only because it brings me joy. I, actually, stupid that, nerdy figurines and things. I have right? a lot of like, stuff that most people would consider trash for sure. Yeah, totally. <laughs> definitely all brings me joy. Though my wife absolutely does. Why does that need to be there? Like because it's a Lego Mars rover. It reminds me that there's a robot just up there cruising around on a <laughs> planet so far away from us. Ah, <laughs> uh, living in living in the future, my friend. It's important to remember. Okay, so what do we got this week? What's the, what's the big one? Uh, we are going to talk about fantasy role-playing games this week. And I think a lot of our Let's listeners... Let's be real. Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> a lot of our listeners are going to go <laughs> there only, Adam. Uh, but I think we're going to touch on all realms of creative, collaborative games where you're imagining being something else. Um, and I don't want to spoil well here's why this is a really this is a cool one to me (laughs) because we regularly the fact that i used to play dungeons and dragons which i used to do with you i don't know sixth grade through the end of high school probably (laughs) i don't like to say the end of high school that's embarrassing no and i don't really think we were playing then either it it petered off for sure (laughs) 
but I did play and people usually sort of want to laugh at it. But like, but it's interesting to me because, because what I tend to think though, is we also, we uniquely as a, as a whole generation, like we grew up along with the advent of video games. Mm, Um, and so like there was a time for us when we didn't have Nintendo, like to play a game, we had to make it up ourselves. Yeah. And so we did. <laughs> no, but like, but it was sort of associated with this culture. Like, so Dungeons and Dragons was really, really involved. And so it became that like, I'm going to play Dungeons and Dragons. Blah, blah, blah. Everybody like the Simpsons make fun of it and shit. But everyone who wrote for the Simpsons played Dungeons and Dragons when they were a kid. So I find as I get older, more and more people seem to have played Dungeons and Dragons when they were kids. Could be my selective choice of people that I spend time with, or it could just be people uh, a little more comfortable with the fact no, that they... No, I, I pay a lot of attention to this because I, I feel like I have for many years carried the baggage of the time that I used to play, <laughs> spend playing Dungeons & Dragons. It's a proud badge, my friend. And I've realized exactly that it's more like this proud badge of the number of successful people I encounter that played Dungeons & Dragons when they were younger is remarkable. Right. I know a, a dark elf thief that lives down the street from me who uh, really enjoyed playing when he was younger. And there's a wizard around the corner who the, really yeah. nice guy. Chaotic. I don't, chaotic. I don't good. think he casts too many spells anymore, <laughs> but he, uh, he's getting up there in wizard age. So uh, let's let's before we dive into the topic too much, let's do a couple little hit list items. Some fun stuff. Got the week. Um, What's on there that interests you? I let my iPad lock, but oh, as soon as I bring it up. Stretching feels good. I'm sitting today, for all of those of you who are wondering, if I'm standing like a champion usual, I'm not, because I have overexercised this week. <laughs> I'm usually <laughs> sitting, and I'm trying to stand this week, because I feel like Ooh. my energy is better, which See, sounds the world like a really is always thing to say. I think my energy is better. <laughs> but just better for but yourself. It just it's, and things are balanced. See, you're awake. standing. I'm sitting honestly. It's and... because my chair is creaky and I don't want to fuck up the audio. So it's for you, dear listener, that I am oh. currently standing on my feet. My chair is very quiet, surprisingly. All um, right, hitless. What's up there? You, that you, you're sitting on a throne. Don't they call uh, it? A th- isn't that your drum chair? Which no, I'm actually sitting on my throne. keyboard seat. Oh, okay. But yes, they do call the drum chair the throne, <laughs> which always makes me think of the bathroom. Oh, I was. Because some I was people call the toilet the royalty. Throw. It's like maybe it's just to make the drummer feel a little better because he's very important, <laughs> but he's in the back and no one notices. Incredibly him important. Wild hair and pop song without drums. There ain't no, I ain't no pop song. Okay, I'm gonna pull one from the hit list that you put on here. Cool. Legos to explain explain fractions, and there's a link Ooh. that goes with this. I saw it just in a passing headline and looked at it, but I don't know exactly what is it. It's cool. It was just a post. I think it was a like a high school teacher, or middle school teacher, whoever you teach fractions to kids, probably probably even younger than that. She was using Legos to demonstrate fractions. And I just thought it was a really cool hands on method. And so if you imagine like the classic uh, eight point Lego brick, like the little brick that has eight, eight little by two things on they top call it. Or, or two, two by four, um, it's got a uh, or yeah, in any size. All Lego, all those little Lego bricks stack up and create whole pieces. So you could take like a 
a two by four piece and you could do quarters and break it down to those little two by one pieces, four of them. And you can literally stack them on there and see the fraction create a hole where you break it down into ones and eighths. You could break it down into halves with the little two by twos uh, and all the Lego pieces stack up that way. You can get out to the eight by two, the 16 by two. Um, the abstract parts don't work like every Lego kit these days doesn't really have those bricks anymore. But the old original pieces, I thought, what a what a creative way to use Legos. And then I started thinking, you probably get that you're you're kind of intuitively learning fractions when you play with Legos. Um, and, and it made me start to think about toys and games and how you can kind of, uh, you're not necessarily, kids aren't sitting there thinking, oh, this is, I need the half of a four by two piece. You need the two by two piece, but you intuitively are picking up the concept. Of we need the piece that fits in that slot. Right. Which is right. Which is what's, which is what's interesting about mathematics and fractions and things like that. Right. And, and like when you presented in a purely mathematical sense it's, it's super dry well one half plus one half is a whole but like in the real world that's that's really you know in that lego sense oh well i don't have it makes me think of when i would build stuff frequently i would turn out to not have the right piece or i would have lost <laughs> a piece or my dog would have chewed up a piece and it was like okay i need i need the fat two by four piece but i can't find one because those ones are nice to chew on for dogs, right? Like I could see in my head just one of those with a dog bite mark in the side of it. Oh, yeah. Like shit, I, had, I can't use I this. I had a lot of human bite marks in mine too. But you can stack three <laughs> of the thinner two by fours to make one of those pieces. So I have many times in oh, my childhood of going, oh nice. shit, oh, but I can build this out of the component pieces that I have. And what's interesting there is like when they start building more complicated things, like I reposted a thing the other day that was this cute little like frame by frame sort of picked a pictograph story of a Wally figure building a Lego Wally. And then the the Wally <laughs> adorable. Like, oh, totally adorable. <laughs> but the the Lego Wally kind of had that like Minecraft look about it where it's sort of uh -huh. blocky, but it's still made up of those pieces. And so by the limitation of having to use this sort of crude geometry with Legos to build things. You can still make approximations of the world around you. They're just constrained by less fractal and less complicated geometry. Right. But you can still kind of build these things. And so it's a really like it's an interesting way to visualize how would I make this thing out of blocks? And you can see it starts like for me, starting from that place and then building like explaining it in terms of math and fractions. And then I hope that teacher continued into making more complex things because you can get from that one by one block as a component of the two by six block to how that's the Eiffel tower, like pretty quickly and pretty, and in a way that I think would open up kids to seeing the link between math and the real world, which is something yeah. that I don't feel like I wrap my head around till I was like 28. Like until I didn't understand until my mid twenties that math is what you need to make a rocket work. Nobody's just no actually... one had ever explained it. <laughs> No one's actually counting <laughs> bushels of apples right now, you know? So <laughs> if Johnny has two apples and I take one away, nobody fucking cares. <laughs> right. I only get one apple right. in my lunch, okay? I get one sandwich, one apple, one juice box, and maybe some chewy dessert pieces. Well, how many apples can I trade you for those chewy dessert pieces, <laughs> those shark bites? Uh, it would take an infinite number of apples. I'll trade for an infinite number of apples for my, my shark bites with the Gooey Center. And there we have the obesity <laughs> epidemic personified. 
oh, oh. you can't have my shark bites. <laughs> <laughs> that apple has naturally occurring sugar in it. Um, uh, cool. That's a good one. Legos. Yeah. Legos are freaking dope. I want to start with role playing, but I want to start at something that a whole lot more people understand, which is fantasy football. Absolutely. And unfortunately, I don't really understand this topic, so you'll have to guide me a little bit. <laughs> I don't entirely either, but I do. what I do understand about the dynamics is you, at the beginning of the season, pick players to be on a fabricated team, and you can pick players from any team across the league, but you're drafting your like dream team of players. And you build out a real team, right? right. So if it's baseball, you're drafting is, pitchers is and yeah. batters. Are people going to stop listening to our podcast because I'm so ignorant about fantasy sports? I don't Mark. think so. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I sure hope not. It's okay. But you're no, but you're but you're on the right track. And so you build out a team and then Home you runs? get points every week thing? based on how those people perform in their respective games every week. And then based on those points, you have a ranking within your league for how your fake team made up of superstars is doing. And so for a lot of people, a lot of research goes into this because they want to make sure that they have the right people to fill in the right yeah, gaps absolutely. and they're building out a well-rounded team. It's like putting together an investment portfolio of how you think you're going to do the best. And they do a lot of research on that because they want to know how this guy's doing, whether he's injured, whether that's going to matter. Because if you have a guy on your team who's then injured, he's just out and you're stuck with him all season, sitting on a bench, getting you no points. I see a lot of my friends go to incredible lengths and invest a lot of... Uh, really high level thought into every every decision they make. I mean, they're putting together incredible Excel spreadsheets. People are picking up new statistical methods to analyze their teams. Uh, it's an interesting phenomenon because it's one of those areas where there doesn't seem to be uh, as much fact as everyone wants. Uh, I know baseball is a little different than some sports, but some sports, they you don't know if someone's going to get injured. You don't know how someone's going to perform. You don't know how teams are going to play against each other. And so everyone's got an opinion and there's not really a way to prove someone else's opinion wrong other than to play the season out and see who wins. And so it's cool. It motivates everyone to make up their own mind, which I think is what makes sports so engaging for a lot of people. It's, it's that debate. It's that constant debate without really being able to win an argument, you know? Right. Which frustrates me, <laughs> but. <laughs> so the fantasy thing. Mm-hmm. It, it scratches, I think, the same itch for the people that are really into fantasy football in the way that me and you don't really understand. I think it scratches exactly the same itch that Dungeons & Dragons did for us when yeah, we were I think so. in seventh grade. You get to be something that you really love and admire and respect and study all the time. For us, it's, for us, it's wizards. <laughs> for, us, for other it's people, wizards. it's like the GM of a, of a football team. Yeah. <laughs> But that's that's but where no, fantasy here, sports get really same, cool for me. It's the same level of involvement, and it's all built around imagining that you're this certain thing and and going more than just like a couple layers deep in into that world. Right. And so that's where like earlier I mentioned video games. What's interesting to me is we've grown up at the same time of like people realizing that this role playing thing was good. And then slowly chipping away elements to see what the least effort they could put in, the least creative effort they had to put in, in order to scratch that itch while still getting the buzz. And so video games have progressively, like, you have to think creatively less and less 
in order to play Metal Gear Solid because you just do the missions. But you're still role playing. You're still pretending right. to be that guy and completing missions. Yeah. And everybody loves it. Yeah, I mean, they've kind of taken the approach that anything that becomes a commoditized product is, which is how do you appeal to the masses the most and how do you make something the most addictive, <laughs> which is what we've done. A pretty good job. Not that there isn't. I mean, video games are tremendous art. I think video games make more money than movies now. They're the biggest creative. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to planet. knock it's video biggest, games, but uh, I'm just trying to walk it back from something that a sure. lot of people like to the thing that we liked as children. And we still we still when we talk to one another long for the enjoyment of those Dungeons and Dragons games at every that time second of every day I think about <laughs> or am actively talking to someone about <laughs> the how the you wish we could pull together a experience of playing we, fantasy so, role-playing games as a, as a child so one time we did uh we tried to pull together <laughs> a Dungeons and Dragons game this and was it was great. eye-opening I was just talking me. about this last night incredibly yeah, we, we defining it was, moment as it was result. really eye-opening because we we pulled together like friends. It was mostly I, I came down to visit you and you pulled together people that you talked to dun- to about Dungeons and Dragons down there. Yeah, eight or ten people, I think. And we we tried to play a game and it made me realize that like there are so many also different styles of play and different levels of involvement. <laughs> and so in a minute, we'll walk through like how we used to play Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. But what was funny about this was. Like we, we kind of, it was kind of an unsuccessful session and it was because one guy that came out, Lou was (laughs) the only other person who had played for real, right? who had played for real was so, and I, and I mean this admirably, like, yeah, he was so into it in a role playing way (laughs) that all the rest of us couldn't handle it because everyone else, everyone else there (laughs) played in a way where it was very like. Let's talk Cerebral. through this scenario, but we're going to yeah. talk like it's me and you talking, trying to figure out a scenario. Lou was like embodying that character. He killed it. And so when you said that we walked up to a troll standing at a, <laughs> at a, at a, at like at a bridge, like my response is to be like, okay, does the troll look friendly? <laughs> and Lou's response was to be like, yon troll who standeth upon the bridge in the way of my travel. <laughs> Dost, How are thee today? Dost thou have upon thee? <laughs> I was not prepared. We all I think just started I started laughing. I, I, yeah, I really enjoyed. There was way more humor in that session yeah. than I remember there being as a child. Although there was definitely a lot of humor in it too as a kid. Uh, so so let's go. So let's take it back a bit and talk through for the people that don't that don't exactly know what we're talking about when we talk about something like Dungeons and Dragons or a, a role-playing oh, yeah. game in the sense that we were talking about we were into. Oh, because everyone has a different uh, view of what that is if they've never played. Or even if they have played, there are tons of right. different versions of role-playing and a lot of And like a lot of people probably have this sort of the baggage of uh, like like wizards' cloaks and LARPing and, you know. Yeah, which is cool too, but different. So, so you have... Uh, role-playing like so uh, our childhood Dungeons and Dragons session would usually be in someone's basement or someone's bedroom and everybody's sitting around and you have a dungeon master talk me through the responsibilities of the dungeon master the actually let's go can we go back a little bit further even and just describe real quickly like what is available to make the game the game is uh book-based in the traditional way and so you have these books that you can call them rule books but uh more so they they do have a lot of kind of rules like flexible 
uh, metrics by which the game is operated. But really, they just kind of describe, they tell you how to be creative. The, the books say like, hey, think about um, if you're when you're creating a character and they're out on the road traveling with a bunch of gear, think about how they'll get tired. Will they get tired over time? Don't let characters carry too much stuff. Like, think about relationships of buying things. Well, in that sense, they do what I was just talking about with the video games, which is they provide a level of like, so if you were to just take unbridled imagination and like, so here's a place to go with it. Think about games in general, right? Any game, chess, checkers, boxing, like it's, you have to make up a set of, I had a, a, an ex-girlfriend once who completely didn't understand football and she thought it was just silly. And I would say, oh, but, and I would explain the rule to her. She would say, well, why did that just happen? That's dumb. And I'd say, well, because, and I would explain the rule and she would say, yeah, but I still don't understand it. And it was like, that really made it clear to me that like, or not clear, but like, that was the first time that I was just like, you're right. This is all just, this shit's just made up. Like, it's just completely arbitrary, like, limitations that everyone agrees to in order that we can have an amusing pursuit. Well, the cool thing with Dungeons and Dragons is it does that, but, and and, and when I'm talking about Dungeons and Dragons, I'm talking about all manner of, there were tons of role-playing games like this, but right, D&D what was we a, a played the deepest. One. We tried a bunch. We played Heroes for a while. We played a Star mm-hmm. Wars role-playing game for a little while. Yeah. That one was real cool. And we've got into tabletop games and card games. And, Warhammer. Uh, and they all, a lot of them come back to Dungeons and Dragons, especially because it's so broad. It, it defines a framework for thinking about uh, reality. Actually, it's fantasy, but it's how do you how do you imagine being someone else, and how do you create a world for someone else to exist in, and then how do you make that reality interesting to people? Uh, well, and the easiest which, way to then plug a bunch of people into it so that you can cooperate and play is mm-hmm. to just have a book that lays out a certain set of constraints. Here's this type of character. Here's what they're like. Like, so in that sense, they've covered a little bit of the imagination for you. Yeah. And by doing that, they let the imagination go into what happens in the quests. Right. You don't have to think about what your character looks like quite as hard because you pick a race and you pick pick attributes and then they're kind of set. It guides you through. I always like to talk about uh, fantasy role playing, this sort of cerebral fantasy role playing as group storytelling you there's there's a dungeon master to kind of get back to your question that prompted this there's a dungeon master who uh runs the game in a lot of role-playing games they're called the game master and they run the game in the sense that they kind of guide the story they typically had read uh some of the books that some of the deeper books that really described hey how do you operate games well how do you facilitate group conversations like that's not the framework that's like a what a business book would call it but that's what they were doing and then the, the game master uh, guides the world and you kind of feed off your players. You take them on an adventure. You talk about what's going on. You run into problems and triumph and there's reward and there's magic and there's, there's consumption and there's learning. And, and, uh, but really it's just people kind of talking through an interesting, uh, fantasy time together. You're talking through a chapter of a book as a team and, and writing something together. It's, Ah, it just, I feel so so good when I talk about it. So the dungeon master, uh, basically, well, so you have the dungeon master and then you have the characters and each character is 
in in our case, we used to make new characters pretty freely just because we were sort of spastic. But there are a lot of cases where people commit to these characters for a really long yeah. time and they continue years to develop them. But yep. you make that character based on the rules that are in the book. And you make that character by, you pick a race and those races have certain attributes. And then you pick like a main talent and those all have certain attributes. And then mm -hmm. you figure out what like scale of those attributes you're starting with by rolling dice, right? This is where the dice part comes into it. That's always part of the lore of Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games. So <laughs> without a computer or a video game or programmers or whatever <laughs> to pick which part of it is going to be out of your control, the thing that these role-playing games did is they created this universe, but then they also built in this component where a certain part of it's out of your control. And that's the part with the dice. So even when you make a character, you just roll based on certain parameters that they gave you to figure out what your attributes are, what your strength is going right, to be, things like, how yeah. many hit points you're going to have before you die, how dexterous you are, how good you look, like things like that. Like literally, <laughs> there were values for charisma. And if your charisma, charisma was higher, you had a modifier a on a roll item. to like try to talk to somebody into not mugging you which was like a thing you could try. You run into some bandits on the road, you can try to make friends with them. And if your charisma yeah, is higher, you, were, you have a better chance. If you were a bard or a thief or or any sort of performer in a role-playing game, charisma was your most important characteristic. If you were a warrior, you always put your worst role on charisma because you didn't care if the orc liked you. You were your stabbing them in the face. Just beat people up. Yeah. <laughs> but so, so those are the characters, right? And each one has different stuff. And and ideally, you try to build out a well-rounded party, much like you would with a fantasy sports game. Yeah. And then the dungeon Absolutely. master is the one who's going to guide you through everything. So that's the person that understands the, the world. And so they know like what creatures you're going to run into, what the main goal of the quest is, and he talks you through everything and basically plays the usually like the bad guy side of everything. So they control mm -hmm. the creatures, they control the limitations, they control all that kind of stuff. And monsters and sometimes other characters that like play on your team too. <laughs> right. Non-player characters they were called. And so then you all sit around and in the universe of the of the the dungeon masters sort of creation and guidance you basically just play a video game. But it's all in your imagination. And so it'll start with him saying your like your party has head. assembled and you're standing before a sign, a wanted poster. And then you just have to and so like somebody from your party's got to go, okay, uh, I'm going to go read the poster. What does the poster say? And then he tells you what the poster says. And you talk your way through creating this story that exists only in your imagination, right? I have some pre-made adventures I could go read from right now. and We could play <laughs> for five minutes. You have, you just don't have people a you sense. Do, you also have adventures that weren't just like, because you can get pre-made ones. These that are, have grids these are ones I wrote, and dice I mean. and stuff. Yeah. You have a couple that like you made from scratch on graph paper. Because you oh, were tons. DMing that were really, spent, really impressive. Well, that was the cool part about both DM and the characters. You could spend days. Th this is what made uh, getting a group of people that hadn't played together together to play hard. You can't just open the box like you can to play Monopoly and look at the rules real quick. It would take days to put a character together. You'd, you, would, you could peruse through books for hours and hours and read about the history of dwarves and how they came. They were the mining creatures in the world and how they were, they were the size and shape and strength and type of character they were because of the history of the race and then how their race interacted with humanoids and elves. And you would spend all this time learning about this stuff to fantasize about, well, what would I, what do I want to be? 
Um, and then the dungeon master did the same thing for the world. They would create, hey, here's here's what my world's like. These are the types of creatures in it. This is the type of adventure. There's going to be fire or water or lots of spells or undead and vampires and ghosts. And oh, man. Kind of like the idea of an open world video game where you can go do whatever you want. Like video games have been striving as computing power increases to let you interact with the entirety of that world, whether it's constructive for the, the mission or not. And in Dungeons and Dragons, because it's entirely in your imagination, like you could, you know, go back to that wanted poster that I was talking about, right? Like if you had this jokester bard in your party who like that was his thing, you could, he could be like, I'm going to take out my grease pencil and draw a dick on the poster. And the DM (laughs) goes, "Uh, okay. And if you have a really (laughs) clever DM, maybe two days later in your campaign that comes back and some gang of thieves is like, are you the guy that drew the dick on the poster? <laughs> Roll a die to see if we, they think that's funny or if they're angry at you. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And then even the, even the DM had that, that, uh, that role of uh, luck in what they were doing. And so it could be like really infinitely. So, so here's where it gets to the success thing though. There was this problem solving factor where the DM would just present you with the details he or she thought you needed in order to figure out what the thing you had to do was, but you still in this completely open universe of imagining it basically from whole cloth had to figure out what your next move was. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we would bumble around doing dumb shit until we figured out like, Oh, under the bridge. Okay. (laughs) I found it. (laughs) Yeah. It was up to the DM to decide how much do I want to guide them? How much do I want them to figure out on their own? And often bump their head on things until they notice the shiny thing under the bridge. That's the, the key that they needed to unlock the gate or whatever, you know? Okay. So I found a a good little passage. I'm going to read. It's a couple paragraphs. Did you type this yourself or is it pre-made? I wrote this. Okay. So this was, this was in a, this will give a little context actually kind of how the talk goes and stuff. So I wrote this as a dungeon master for an adventure I was building in the world called Ravenloft. And Ravenloft was kind of the dark, uh, the ghosty world. There were ghosts and vampires and werewolves. And that's kind of where I always, always was drawn. It was spooky. Um, it still was generally the same time setting of like swords and magics and castles. Um, some of the other worlds were more common that you picture like, like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones style worlds. There were even worlds that were like, there was one called Spelljammer that was ships flying through outer space. So it it went all over the place. Ravenloft was kind of like Castlevania. Yeah, Castlevania. That's good. Or like Dracula movies and stuff. Um, so this was a adventure I put together and I'm holding a binder right now that probably has a hundred pages. Lots of typed stuff that was like pre-made stuff I'd read. It has maps. Uh, it has character sheets of its own that are characters from the adventures. It has histories of, of of parts of the towns and places they would go. It's just really interesting. And so this is the section. I just kind of open it up and this is labeled Encounter 1. So this probably lines up with some map. There's probably a little mark on it that says 1. And this is what I read to friends. And I remember reading this. I remember I had candles lit. We were playing in my room and it was kind of dark. Uh, I don't remember who we were playing with, um, but here here we go. Encounter one. And it wouldn't be presented that way. It would be in the context of the story. So you've been walking along a well-used path for several hours without the slightest sign of anything. Every once in a while, you hear the beginnings of a scream that are muffled before they reach their full intensity. But nothing more interesting than that has happened. Suddenly, you hear a very intense groan fairly close to your location. A few minutes later, a low, constant thud sounds in the distance. 
It reminds you of the noise a butcher makes when beating a freshly slaughtered carcass. This is dark for like a child to be writing. (laughs) (laughs) Probably 12, 14, I don't know. As you continue down the path, your heartbeat matches each and every thump echoing out of the woods. This hypnotic pulsation continues for almost 15 minutes and then ends abruptly. As you concentrate to see if the pounding is still there, you notice that all other sounds have ceased. There's no buzzing of bugs or chirping of crickets. There's complete silence, except for the beating of your own heart. (laughs) And then there's this little paragraph that I have labeled talk to each person separately. And so to add kind of like mystique to the story right here, there's this party of five people that are hanging out in my room, but I took each of them separate outside of the room and I read the same patches to them, but they don't know that. So they each think they kind of have like secret information and sometimes you would. And so this passage goes, you think you can see some shadows at the edge of the path as you whip your head around to look, but you see nothing. Every once in a while, you hear the slight crack of a stick or twig or the rustle of some leaves, but nothing that couldn't have been caused by the wind or a small rodent of some type. You keep seeing shadows dance out along the edge of the path, but nothing ever leaves the confines of the dark woods. So you pass it off as actions of some small forest creature. And so then it kind of, it's just open there. It's like, well, what does everyone, what does the party want to do? And now everyone was separated for a minute and they're like, oh, what information did I get? What's happening? Like, do we want to go into the woods? Do we want to continue down the path? I think they were headed to some, they're, they're just following a path right now with a caravan. Like they don't know where the adventure is going. This was the very beginning, but and- so that kind of just puts them in the here's mood what and I, sets the scene. Here's what I think is interesting. So you just described, like, what you just handed over is a subset of information by which this group of people who are all agreeing to play this game together are going to proceed. <laughs> and it that, to me, is no fucking different than fantasy football. And so, no. so here's the thing. If you just listened to what Brian was saying and he thought, oh, my God, that's so ridiculously involved and pathetic and nerdy and whatever (laughs) and all the stuff that's like, I feel like the baggage I've carried around for years because of Dungeons and Dragons, like realize that that's no different than fantasy football, which I I feel like is completely accepted and okay for people to be way into. And it's why I don't judge fantasy football i mean we laugh about the effort that goes into it because it's not the effort that we would choose to use our time for right Right. now but it's no different you're you're dealing with a subset of agreed upon rules with a Mm -hmm. certain that are constantly changing degree of chance in it and discuss and you're doing a whole bunch of research to decide what your next move is and you're hoping that you have information that the other people don't and sometimes you do sometimes you don't and then and then you sort of go on this adventure. In fantasy football, it's the adventure of a season, and you guys get in to sit around and go, oh, man, and then he broke his leg, which completely fucks me. I hate this. <laughs> you know? But, like, I, I had or a... Or he failed his saving throw, and the dragon fire burnt through his shield, and he died. Exactly. Same I thing. Mean, no, and I, I had a character. <laughs> I had a thing, and this is like, you can try to think about this, what it would be for you if fantasy football is your thing. But, like, we had an adventure that I really distinctly remember where I was playing this wizard, which is my was my go-to character for a long time. And I think you were you were DMing and you were just kind of over it. So you were just like, okay, I'm gonna throw a beast at these guys. It's just gonna end the mission so we can go outside and play <laughs> Frisbee. And I had just gotten a spell that like I was allowed to use but on really shaky grounds because it was the most advanced spell that I had for my level. Yeah, as this is coming back to me now. And it's called Chain Lightning. 
and it was a spell yeah. where the strength of the spell was this the lightning could bounce off a wall and hit the guy repeatedly with one cast and basically it was like okay i have one chance before this guy takes a swing at me and kills me i'm gonna try this chain lightning spell and then by an unbelievably fortuitous set of rolls for the bounces <laughs> this one cast bounced off the wall and hit him again like six times and he died and i got so much like experience points and reward gold and different gear from this guy <laughs> that you guys then wouldn't let me play the wizard like he was too strong ever again because it made it not fun <laughs> for you guys because i was too strong i could see too much i could kill too many things i was too charismatic Which rolls us like strangely right into like modern socioeconomic issues in the world you know the the people in charge uh luck in some capacity played a role in someone becoming too powerful and having too much well too so here's resources. but so here's made the thing. an unbalance that made the game unfun in the people. fantasy football context <laughs> think about tom brady you know, I mean, you don't follow football too a lot, good but you looking, know who Tom Brady is, Too right? good at football. If you had Tom Brady the season that he was backup quarterback to Drew Bledsoe, and Bledsoe hurt himself, and Tom Brady got put in and has never been taken back out, that's, that's the same functional equivalent. But it's completely okay, I think, socially, for you to have a story about the season that you picked the backup quarterback on the Patriots and it turned out to be Tom Brady and you won your whole league because it turned out to be Tom Brady. <laughs> but like, if I tell this story about killing a skeleton in a cave with my wizard, <laughs> I'm a loser. Uh, and so it's just, people, you know, my thing is people just don't have that frame of reference. It's just gameplay. You know, you know, it's like, and we, that, that was our, the depth of research that you might've had to do, you know, and I don't know, Tom, I think Tom Brady was a, was a college star and stuff. So he's like, you could have done your research enough to know that like, as soon as this guy gets a shot, he's going to be the, the guy. I mean, I don't really know enough about Tom Brady. Right. But that's a great example of like hundred to one shot turns out to be your moneymaker. And you're going to tell that story forever. <laughs> the same way that I still remember <laughs> this ridiculous story yeah. from like seventh grade about a, it's exciting. You know, what an exciting thing to have a game of, do, you know, um, I don't, I can't think of any, any specific memories of board games where the thing that occurs in the board game is so exciting. Like you're playing sorry. And maybe you, roll a six when you needed a six exactly to get to the end spot and win the game but it's like yeah there's only so much excitement that's like very localized right. excitement in your life you know well and so and just passing the time it, it's and and again it's another place where role-playing stacks up with um with fantasy sports because like that guy breaks his leg and he's out for the season he's out for the season you don't get to replace him and the way we used to play, like if my wizard died, I had to start with a new junior character the next time we played. Yeah. Like I didn't get to resurrect that wizard for the next thing. Yeah. There were no, at least the way we played. Sometimes. Sometimes we went on resurrection yeah. adventures, I think. But other people take it really seriously to the point of like, your guy dies and he's done. You got to start yeah. with a new, new. It's just, new... Uh, it's up to that group and what they decide the rules of that world are at that right. time. And so compared to Lou, <laughs> we played pretty <laughs> casually, I think. Um, but it's a really interesting so, sort of like, I think to try to take it to a much broader, you know, point about imagination and games and things like that. Like we, it seems like people have always come up with that kind of thing and always strived for this sort of like, 
let's tell a story, let's go on an adventure, let's watch a movie, let's watch a TV show. And it's interesting seeing that there was this thing that like, I mean, we, we literally, we had teachers who tried to get Dungeons and Dragons outlawed because it was heretical. It was powerful. <laughs> it was, it was incredibly polarizing. We had teachers that were, we had, we had groups of teachers. We played at school a lot, like during, I mean, it was so engaging. I, I think most of the people in our graduating uh, high school class, but we also, we went to school with the same people for a really long time. At least Probably tried. half our class at some point played Dungeons and Dragons with us. And we would run from class to go get more books and meet in the AV room in the library and read books and play this fantasy game together. And, uh, and so we were just running around campus talking about dragons and spells and it was polarizing. We had groups of teachers. There were meetings that the, the faculty would get together and sometimes and talk we about, would go and defend it. <laughs> right. What some thought it was, it was bad. Some thought it was distracting. Some thought it was incredible. Um, it was, it was just, it was wild. What a wild thing to have a group of children just creating this fantasy world in inside of doing all the other stuff that you do at school. It was, right. it was incredible. Well, and that even goes to like violent video games, right? People talk about concern for violent video games. Like we yeah. were making this stuff up from nothing and it was violent. It, it's for <laughs> sure. And it's for sure fair to say that Dungeons and Dragons could, uh, had violent, violent pieces to it. I mean, there's death and dying and burning people alive. i stabbing people with swords. It's incredibly violent, you know, but that's, uh, I, it, Felt always felt to me like a very, not that I was thinking about it from this context as a child, but it feels like that was a very gentle and uh, correct way to learn that stuff. I mean, you had to think through when your character died, uh, you felt bad. If you, sometimes you would do things in the game that would result in bad things happening, another person's character dying, and and you would think about that. That had an emotional effect on you. Um, and in that sense, it's more oh, really? engaging than your standard sort of, I mean, and you know, books, movies are the same way. That's why they have the same impact. Right. But in this sense, like it was a way of putting yourself in there where in a lesser way than you actually dying, <laughs> like there are real <laughs> in your life, real implications for your character dying. Now you got to start with this junior guy and you got to like the questions you ask have to be different because you might not have that like, and you can hop in with your same party, but now all those guys are going to be experienced and you got to, now your question is back to like, Hey, can you pick that lock for me? Cause I'm not going to be able to do it. And I know mm -hmm. that your, that your numbers are such that you'll have a more beneficial role. Like, and that's a hassle. If you used to be the powerful ass wizard that could just go, I'm going to use the unlock spell. We're done here. It's sobering you know? for you and as so, a character. It's, and it's, it's neat. So we're segueing, I think really well into where I think we should kind of go next, which is what what are sort of the tangible uh, what are our ta what are our thoughts on the tangible benefits of the game? Kind of education and learning and experience and uh, I mean personally, I think we could touch on every aspect of character uh, and and personal development and, and talk about how the game kind of influenced that. Um, but what are what are some big ones? I think the biggest for thing you, for me, and this it? is the same thing with open world video games or any sort of puzzle game, you know, Tetris, even a simple iPad game where you walk a robot around and you try to figure out what the problem you're supposed to solve is like, it's a really, it's a really, it's a, it's a valuable thing in the real world to have a certain degree of broader problem solving skills to be able to just go, I'm standing here at a tree with a poster on it. And 
what questions do I need to ask? First off, I mean, and this goes to what I think we want this whole podcast to be about, right? Like, what's the, we've talked about it in design context and science context, but there's a real world reason to have a systematic approach to like, okay, what are the questions I ask to get more information about the scenario? So I think it's important from the standpoint of uh, experiences like that are how you learn how to have a broader way of approaching a problem that starts from what questions do I need to ask? What are the answers to those questions? How do I respond to those questions? And in a role-playing sense, and in a more pared-down way across video games, like what you're learning is, well, how do I start from this subset of constraints and proceed constructively scientific method in a sense great very well put i like that (laughs) wrap up there yeah yeah interesting and and so much stuff can be approached looking at what's going on and looking at everyone's inputs and i there are a lot of places i would go to answer that question but along those same lines i i really think that the uh social creative interaction was really valuable it taught you how to get together with a group of people and be creative as a team and talk about how things worked and you had rules but it wasn't rules like monopoly you can't argue over uh if it's 200 dollars for pass and go it's always 200 dollars for pass and go in dungeons and dragons it was constraints like you said more so than rules it was it was concepts to consider as you as you collaborated and and coordinated and 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 uh, compromised on stuff as you created this world together. There's this inherently collaborative and cooperative component that exists in some video games, you know, but it's but largely gets stripped away because it's a thing that's mm-hmm. really hard to do to cooperate like that. And so if mm-hmm. you're trying to pare down the sticking points in something like this so that you can make it more addictive and sell it, one of the things they take out is cooperation. You can play the game by yourself against the computer and still have that satisfaction of, of achievement. But with role playing games, you really have to, you really have to cooperate to exist in this universe. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's sort of like this exaggerated game of yes. And which is a thing that improv people practice (laughs) where you just have to go. Yeah. Okay. And then you add stuff because if you're the guy that goes, no, you can't do that. And the interesting thing with role playing (laughs) games is like video games constrain that by just saying, there are things you can do. There are things you can't do. And then there are things that you do and they're just not productive. You know, like you could go shoot off into the breeze in metal gear solid. You're just going to run out of bullets and then it hurts you and whatever, like in role-playing games, part of the dungeon master's job was to, if you are trying to do stupid shit to like jam you up, you know, like Mm -hmm. to go, okay, well, if you want to draw another dick on that poster, you're running out of space on the paper. I'm going to triple the difficulty of whether or not you get to, there's room on that paper and now you have to roll and you're not (laughs) going to get it. And if you do happen to get it, then you get to draw another dick and everybody thinks it's funny and you go, I'm going to draw another dick. And then he goes, okay, but now it's up to, it's up to five times difficulty. And eventually he jams you up. You can't do the thing and you can only, you can't be stupid anymore. And if you keep trying to do that shit, people stop inviting you to their sessions. (laughs) I don't remember there being a, a success role on the dungeon master screen for drawing obscene pictures on posters, but maybe it needs it. Maybe it needs to be updated. You know, (laughs) make that shit up. Um, 
But no, I think it's a valuable, but here's where I think we get to a moral for the whole thing, which is I think a lot of people play fantasy sports and there's that same degree of cooperation because to sit down and have a draft and make it happen, y'all have to cooperate. And to mm-hmm. play a co-op video game, you have to cooperate or you have to even cooperate with the computer or whatever. Um, and you have to problem solve. And in all of those places, I think the idea of like, I don't know, you could call it, um, I think uh, there's a, a concept called mindful gaming. There's someone, there's a, you should check her out. She's on podcast. She's got books. Jane McGonigal is her name. Um, Jane McGonigal. She has that done like PhD level research in the value of gaming, which is like, hmm. go play Tetris for its value from distracting you from waiting in your doctor's office. But be, but try to be mindful of the value of those of that experience like oh i i had this problem and i could solve it like what was the feeling of having the problem and how did i feel and then how did i find the solution for that and it and it exists in games at any varying degree of complexity but like there's real value in that game like for us with the role playing it was you know what you just said about the cooperation and what i was saying about the problem solving and then we took that into into our life and i really distinctly remember now that you brought it up a context where we were defending against like uh, teachers who wanted to tell us that we couldn't play on campus. And we were sitting there going, no, it's about cooperation and it's about imagination. And it's about all of the stuff that we just talked about. And it's stuff that we all carry into our life. And I remember Mrs. Knox, the librarian, basically standing up in the face of these teachers and being like, these are all good guys. And everything they said about carrying all of that stuff into their regular life is absolutely true. And I see them every day. She was like the supreme white wizard. Oh, yeah. She was, she was, she was an awesome supporter <laughs> of our continued use of the back corner of the library for Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> we had to sign up for the AV room all the time. It was just us and then a bunch of teachers signing up doing teacher periods. Yeah. Um, <laughs> either way, the, the thing was, I think we, we didn't think about it mindfully. But we carried that into normal life because it was like we would sit in a room as friends and we're all still friends, the people that used to play that game. And I think a lot of it comes True. from like, even when we're being dickheads to one another, there's still this thing of like, we built an ability to cooperate that we literally use to this day to make this podcast every better, better every episode. Yeah. And sometimes that's like, dude, you sure. say um too much. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah. But I think we learned that cooperation from that kind of role playing. Oh, and the thing that I guess I, I like I want to put out there for everyone else listening is even if you're just playing Metal Gear, like try to think of it as more than just dominating at Metal Gear and being better. Like try to try to take that feeling of problem solving and that feeling of like, <laughs> I'm not sure where to go now, but I think I go over here. And then if I go over there, I can find the guy and I can stab him silently. Like that feeling of I just solved the shit out of this problem. Like take that into your daily life instead of just kind of bumping your head against things willy nilly when you're, when you're out there trying to anyone. talk to people Unless about really a to. concept or, or talk to your wife about the mess in the garage or, you know, whatever, <laughs> like that I think is the value of all that kind of stuff. So here's, here's a good, a good kind of wrap up question for you. People often after I talked to them about Dungeons and Dragons and kind of explained some of the stuff we've talked about now, they say, cool, can we play sometime? And my answer is always, uh, not really. 
it's so involved to get into it you gotta, that I don't know how to engage you. I don't know how we would play. Right, to really get into it, it take, on a level. I don't, like, it would take gotta, me days to set up a game. It would take you days to, to even learn the basics of creating a character and get involved. And so I've thought a lot recently about how how could I occasionally capture something like that as an adult with more time? Are there games like that? Is there a way people could be introduced to a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons? Could we do an hour one night with people who are interested? I, I honestly, my my answer is I don't know, and I hope that there are listeners who maybe do, and they can tell us. I know, like, I know there are weekly games at comic book shops and games shops yeah. around town and stuff, but like, one of the things that I think was fun and made it accessible was playing with my friends. And I know that eventually yeah. I would get to be friends with the people at those places, but like, I don't have time in my life. And I think this is true for most people to go make a whole bunch of new friends that take this Try stuff really seriously so and hang out at a games workshop, you know, every Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know that I have an answer. There might be video games I'm missing that kind of tap into this. Um, there might be something that we could come up with as a community that would be fun, fun to do. Yeah. I would love to figure out how to capture the value of Dungeons and Dragons and the creative collaboration and turn it into a cocktail party game. It doesn't need to be dwarves and wizards, but it could be the same sort of self-guided or team-guided creation of interesting. It's kind of like having ding conversation with people. Uh, but there's some, there's some sort of like pride in putting together the world and teaming up and overcoming obstacles. And that seems like some sort of game that could be developed and, and, uh, and, and broaden. Cause like we've talked about with fantasy sports, there's a lot of these same desires are in people to, to be someone else and to, to create things and run things and control your own destiny in a, in a, as a person that isn't your day-to-day -day person. With that element of chance where you, you're rolling dice and it's still fun. And, and I think there's board Definitely games like that. Like I think there's tabletop the games best. that are that way. <laughs> but I, the, the answer is, I don't know what they are. And if you guys know, tell us. Yeah, hit us up with some other games that you've played, maybe that are slightly less burdensome. I also fear that if you know... If the people that know may have already checked out of this podcast because they may not need to know everything that we just explained about. Oh, they're off playing Dungeons right. and Dragons rather than listening just to other people about talk about it, it. Like the yogurt which in is, the first episode. Oh, You'll which be is kind eating of yogurt like, while I'm thinking about it. I know um, at least one person who was prompted to buy yogurt on the way home, frozen yogurt, after listening to Outstanding. Our first Maybe that should be our first sponsor. Ooh. Um, but no, so I really like if you. If you want to get something like this going, maybe we can figure it out. I don't know. Um, cool. If you know of something like this, let us know. We're uh, we're on all the socials, mostly at Zengineering Pod, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. What's our website? ZengineeringPodcast.com? And uh, ZengineeringPodcast.com. That's it. Nice. Best thing you can do to help us out, though, is go write a review. Go give us a ranking on uh, iTunes. Um, iTunes. A lot of the yeah. places where you might have gotten this, Downcast, uh, Overcast, they all pull from iTunes. And so their rankings are Everything, all based on iTunes also. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, Just leave us some feedback there too. It's a good place to get in touch. 
but uh yeah thanks for thanks for hanging out for another one of these and uh, oh yeah i'm adam i'm brian let's uh keep the rock rolling <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have a PS I want to hit that just came to me at like the same time that that weird comment just came out. I we should have been hit list topic. I wanted to discuss the D four, which is the four sided die from Dungeons and Dragons. The pyramid. The pyramid. It's the most interesting die to me because every other die rolls just like a six sided die. You roll it and then you read the number that's on top. Right. But when you hand a four sided die often referred to as a D4 in the manuals and give it to people, they roll it and they say, huh, what's the number? Cause their number is just all over every side. And there's no number right. on top. It's real confusing. How but did, there is a number how on top. Work? It's just that the number that encircles the spire, right? That's how you read it. Yeah. Some are the spire, some are the base. But yeah. You have so to read confusing. a number that shows up on all three sides <laughs> and it's cool. Cause it, not only are Dungeons and Dragons dice amazing geometry, another place Dungeons and Dragons touches mathematics and science. You've got the dodecahedron is the D20, the 20 sided die that defines most of the luck in the game. The classic iconic piece that I have on a pair of dress socks. But the D4 is a geometric pattern that you can't produce in our reality in a three dimensional world. You can't make a four sided thing that has a top face when it lands on a flat surface. And so there had to be this creative way to roll four sides you, and get a and number. You can't make a four-sided die with a top face for the same reason that you can't stack four cans in the fridge in a geometrically satisfying fashion. <laughs> Call back. <laughs> okay, let's get out of here. Thanks for listening. Awesome, buddy. Everybody. Good good cast, people. Well, take, take care. Next week.